What's up, guys? I'm gonna, they make me get my own stand because I haven't reached a certain status yet, so I understand. <laughs> I get that, and I understand. Uh, they wanted me to stand down there now, <clears throat> up here. Thanks, guys, for having me up here again. I, uh, I always want to um, say that it, it, it really means a lot to me, and this is an honor. I don't, I don't take it lightly. Take it very seriously, but it's also um, it's also a joy, um, and so I would love to uh, to pray, uh, and then I'm gonna get right into it. Father, thank you so much um, for the opportunity um, to look into the scriptures and to look into your story that you are writing, where you are the center, and Jesus, you are um, uh, the one that we look to and worship and hope for and long for and experience here and now. So. Just ask for your blessing over this space. The Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak, that you would anoint me to speak what you want to say, and that you would open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel, um, to the beauty of Jesus, and to the glory um, that you are. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read our scripture. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to focus really just on one verse, and that's verse 5. Verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The first time I did this, I think I did nine verses. I found out that was eight too many, so we're singling it down to one, but you'll find out that didn't help either because this is, uh, we're going to jump around. So um, before we, we jump around, I want to I go back and put ourselves um, into the story that God is writing um, and, how, and what the gospel is in light of that full story of the scriptures. Um, but before I, I get into that, I do want to focus here on the first part um, that he saved us. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Um, the, the gospel, in that God rescues us, and we're going to talk about that rescue and what the rescue looks like, um, how it plays out in our lives, and, and what it's going to look like in the future. That gospel, the saving, the rescuing, happened because God saved us. We weren't the right type of people. I, wasn't the, I didn't have the right material for God to look at and say, okay, Jake, I can work with Jake. He's got some good stuff going on. Um, it was Jesus putting his life down, not for, for people that loved him, but for the ungodly and for the enemy. He laid down his life. He shed his blood. He gave it all that we would be with God. And, I, and we're going to talk about that, that the ultimate end of the gospel is that we would be with God. The forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is all leading to his desire, God's desire for us to be with him. And I love what we sang, and I do want to read one of the scriptures before we really get going. Is First John 3, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And it is a great, great love, because it wasn't what we deserved. We didn't deserve to be with him. We have violated his goodness, his rule, and what we'll talk about is we've, we have transgressed his kingdom, his good world that he meant to represent his glory and for us to live in love to him and to one another. So, but before we get in, fly through to the, to the second half of that one verse I chose, 
we're going to go back, and we're going to talk about God as the master creator. Um, last time I talked about God as, as the giver of a feast, as the great host of a banquet, but God is also a master creator. He, at the core of who he is, is he's a creator. He loves to create. He did it at the beginning, and it, we'll talk about it. He does it at the end. So in uh, Genesis 1, 27 through 28, I'm going to read this first quickly. And I'm sorry if I'm going to jump around a lot of verses. I'm not that sorry. I believe that you guys can follow me, but we're, we're going we're gonna to do this, and we're gonna, I promise we're going somewhere. God created humankind in his own image. This is Genesis. He created all things, and he said he created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. And in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. There was evening and then there was morning in the sixth day. So God created all that we see and then he took humankind and he created him and her and male and female, in his image to represent God in this world. And he put them in charge. He had them rule over everything that God had created. He said, You're, I'm putting you in charge, my representatives, my image in this world. And most of us know the story that things go wrong. It doesn't stay that way. Adam and Eve given to the lie of the devil to rule as God told them to, but on their own terms with their own wisdom. They decide what's right. They know how to rule. And everything breaks down from there. We see sin, death, sickness, corruption enter into creation, not just human beings, but all of creation was subject, and we'll talk a little bit about that, was subject to the corruption that God's representatives were in charge, and they, they broke down. And so there was a breakdown from that to where the whole world experienced that crushing, breaking, and destruction. And now we're going to fast forward all the way to the end of the Bible. So, sorry for the whiplash, but again, y'all have got this. We're going to fast forward. So, the creation, the establishing of God's people, and then the breaking of that, and the destruction, and the decreation of God's good world. Fast forward to the end in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice of the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and, he will be his, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm making all things new. I don't know about you, but I, I long for that. And even in the in the Revelation 21, there's the, the imagery of Eden where there's creation and God brings the, the, the city, the garden city down into earth that God would be with his people like he was with Adam and Eve before the fall. He partnered with Adam and Eve. He knew them. They knew him and they were ruling on his behalf. 
And they, then God is saying this recreation is happening where he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And he's saying, behold, I'm making all things new. But now, where are we? We're stuck in the middle. We have the creation that's gone wrong, and we've all participated in it. Every single one of us has failed to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said that that's the fulfillment of the full law of God, is that we would love him with all that we are and learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. and we've all violated that. So we're stuck in what the Bible would call this age and the age to come. So there's a lot of language in the New Testament. In fact, a lot, of the, a lot of the New Testament, the word that we usually translate into this world is actually it's better that this age. And so it's this age, and then there's another age to come. And so we're stuck in the middle, and as we long for this age to come, I think believer and unbeliever have the same longing for a world without sickness and without death, and where there's a community of humans who love one another instead of use one another. Whether the, belie- whether the unbeliever would, would agree with the theology, I think if you presented that world, I don't think anyone would say no to it. The gospel of Jesus provides this reality where every other narrative falls short. A synonym with the age to come in Scripture is the kingdom of God. And I've talked about this last time, but the kingdom of God is simply where, where what God wants to happen is happening. And so Jesus came and he came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He said the kingdom of God has come near. And he didn't just say it, he demonstrated it. Wherever he went and and said the kingdom of God has come near, he started healing people. Sicknesses, people coming back from the dead. um, And then he cast out demons. The, the, The rule of evil, the rule of Satan, where God says now in this age, the ruler of this age is the devil, the ruler of this age, the one who's in charge in this space due to God's sovereignty, this time is Satan, our enemy. And Jesus said clearly, the enemy, Satan, comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. So when Jesus broke in and he said the kingdom of God is here, he said it, and he went to the marginalized, the forgotten, the people that no one thought highly of and said, to you, the kingdom of God is coming. I want to preach good news to you, and I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to open blind eyes, and I'm going to show this kingdom coming. The age to come started to break into this present evil age. So we see that when, um, that's why Jesus says to his followers that we are to love like he loved. Because love of God and love of neighbor, the great commandment, fulfills everything. And God's law was always meant to bring his good kingdom into this present evil age. But the Israelite people, before Jesus, they couldn't bring God's kingdom through keeping the law. And Paul made that very, very clear. And we're going to jump through. In fact, God says, even in Matthew 13, uh, verse 40 through 41, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and he will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. And in fact, God's purpose and judgment is never to just punishment for wrong. It's always restorative. God is always making a wrong world right. His end goal is that creation is restored to its good design. And that's why Jesus warns even people of their path that's leading to perishing. 
that's their, their wide way, their easy way that leads to destruction is because God's kingdom is coming and there's no stopping it. And his invitation is through the grace and mercy of what Jesus has done for us that we step into his kingdom now, experience his kingdom that is coming, and there will be no stopping it. And so when we warn people, when we tell people the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we're telling them that there is a wrath to come, that God is going to make all things right. And he has made a way for you right now by nothing what you've done, but by the sacrifice and love of God that Jesus would lay down his life that we could enter into that. So what does this have to do with Titus 3? <laughs> and what does this mean for us now? Um, now that, that we're Christians, are we simply waiting for God to take us to heaven because our sins are forgiven? To be sure, all those who are in Christ will be with him when our bodies fail on this earth. And without forgiveness that Jesus brought for us, we have no future with God. And the story, but the story of the gospel is bigger than that. The story is that God has already begun the recreation project he described in Revelation 21.5. Behold, I'm making all things new. And he started it in us. You guys, I'm not saying you don't look impressive to me. You look very impressive. I'm very impressed with everyone. But to think that God started his recreation process in the people that would follow Jesus, that would surrender their lives to receive his forgiveness and step into life with him, that's God's beginning of the story where Jesus broke in and he says, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And he defines eternal life in John 17, 3 as if you know God and know the Son, this is eternal life. So his invitation is to know him in relationship and be with him and enjoy his, his presence forever. And that starts now. In, in Matthew 19, I promise we're getting to, to Titus 3, but in Matthew 19, Jesus says, well, Peter says to Jesus, see, we've left everything and followed you. What will we then have? And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house or brothers or sister or father or mother, for my sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The image of the, of the Son of Man that Jesus is talking about is the end of this evil age. It's when God will bring his, his kingdom completely, where everything will be made right. Everything, every manner of wickedness will be gone and every sickness, death, disease, every sadness will be made, it would be erased. And when Jesus says this, he says an interesting word. In Matthew 19, he says an interesting word. He says, in my new world, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his throne, I promise I'll only do this two times. But the word uh, translated uh, new world in, in that uh, passage is uh, an interesting word, word called palingenesia. It literally means new birth, reproduction, or recreation. So in God's new world, his recreation, this is what Jesus is describing. That brings us back to Titus 3.5. Because it said, God saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that 
word regeneration is the same word palagenesia. It's recreation. So God saves us, not by anything we've done, not because we earned it, we're the right type of people. He rescues us. He rescues his enemies. And then he says, the salvation looks like the recreation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so God, through us, through the gospel, is taking broken humanity, you and me, and restoring to us the glory that he intended us to have. As we talk about the children of God at first, what, what is the children? The children of God, his, the glory and honor that he bestows on the children of God is more than what we can imagine. We know that this story is not about, is not about us, but in the center of the recreation of all things, he places you and me. And he says, I want to show the world what I'm doing through the people of Jesus, that you would be made new. And in fact, Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. He's remade. So Jesus told his followers, you will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses. So how are we witnesses to, to Jesus? Well, we become like him in this world, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and demonstrating it with transformed characters and spiritual authority to cast out demons and heal the sick. All of it is pointing to the recreation of all things, God himself making all things new. He began this recreation with Jesus, and he continues it in us, little old us. There's a, a book called More by a guy named Simon Ponsonby. He says, the early Christians had no degrees from the best university. They had no MBA management courses. They had gone through no psychological Myers-Briggs compatibility profiles, and they had no financial investment portfolios, but they had a revelation of God, a revelation of the inheritance in Christ and Holy Spirit from on high. And with, and th with this, God took 120 people, and he shook the world. God does this through the creative power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself is remaking us to be people who represent the coming kingdom by transformed lives who look like Jesus and do what he did. Now, one of the things that I'm always fearful of uh, is that when we read something like this and we talk about this, we see that, oh God, this is, God's desire for me is real transformation. And now I'm a Christian, God's forgiven me, so now there's a lot of things that I need to stop doing and there's a lot of things I need to now do. I need to, I need to not lust anymore. I need to not be greedy. Um, I need to be uh, kind, um, and I need to give to the poor. And so we list these things out. So in my, one of the first talks I gave, God, I felt like God gave me an alliteration, like four things that started with the same letter. I told him I wasn't going to do that. I ended up doing that. And, and I told him I wasn't going to do a silly illustration, but here I'm about to do an illustration. So this is God has a sense of humor. Um, part of me feels like we, we take this um, good news of the gospel and see this transformation, and we, we say, okay, God, I've got to do all these things. I know I do it. And we go in our own power. We don't realize what's available to us and accessible to us and what God intended to do in us. And so we go for it with all our might, and we run after it. We don't do too good. But God's purpose and what he's speaking is that what he's asking for us is to submit to 
to a shaping and a forming that God does by a spirit. So I took this paper, and I wish it was here, but he decided that he wanted to play with his friends more than listen to me, which is fine. And I gave it to a master creator. I gave it to Caleb Walker. He's nine years old, and he's excellent at making paper airplanes. So he made me this paper airplane, and he gave it to me. So it's this, this, the same sheet of paper, um, and I gave it to him, and we'll see, we'll see how it does. Kara, are you filming this? He requested it be filmed. Kara, okay, oh my gosh. I got to wait. Kara, he's going to get so mad at us if we don't film this. <laughs> it has to happen. I could do it right now. Here, I'll do it from stage. All right, see how this works, Kara. Oh, heads up. Better. He's, he's going to be disappointed in that. Don't show him that. We'll tell him we forgot it. <laughs> so in, uh, in, in uh, Romans 12.2, it says, Do not be conformed to this age. A lot of our translations say world. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, te by testing that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. That word, one more time, so don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed. That word in Greece actually, uh, we know this word, it's metamorpho, and it's where we get metamorphosis. Um, and I don't know about you, but the, the immediate thing that comes to me, I don't think I learned anything else in school other than a caterpillar is metamorphosized. How's that go? Metamorphosis into a butterfly. I know my science really well. Um, and, and I think... I think it's very similar, like a caterpillar trying really hard to fly, is us trying to be a new creation without the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit, without submitting to the relationship that God invites us into through, through the Holy Spirit, that we actually can be shown that we're children of God. It says that's what the Holy Spirit does. We can, God can communicate his love to us that we, he loves us more than we can imagine, and even despite ourselves. Like, we need to know that God loves us despite ourselves. And even in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he's at his baptism, he goes and he's baptized into the water. And when he comes up, it says the heavens are open, and the Holy Spirit descends, and the voice from heaven, the Father saying, Behold my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Jesus had done nothing yet. He hadn't done any ministry. He had done no miracles. He had nothing to show for himself. And the Holy Spirit came, and with it came the affirmation of the Father that you are mine and I love you. And I believe strongly we need the same thing. For us to step out into the work that God has for us, the ministry that God has for us, the transformation that he wants for us, we can't do it without a love relationship with Jesus that he would walk with us as our shepherd through the Holy Spirit, that he would communicate to us that we're his, we're completely accepted and we're approved, is the only place of freedom where we can step into the fullness of life that God has for us. And, the, and what he actually says is going to be representative of his new world. And when the plane moved, flew and moved forward, there wasn't straining or difficulty. And the burden and yoke that we put on ourselves is similar to the straining of trying to throw a piece of paper into the wind. God does the shaping. We do the surrendering. We submit ourselves to him, and the Holy Spirit shapes us. He molds us, 
into the type of person that can love like Jesus. Jesus was really clear. He said, don't expect good fruit out of a bad tree. You make the tree good, and the fruit will be good. If the tree's bad, the fruit will be bad. So Jesus, God himself through the Holy Spirit, is recreating us to be a type of people always moving to look like Jesus, to have the internal life of Jesus where what he did came from his love for the Father. And so we have to have that same love communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. That's, what the trans- that's how the transformation works. It's how, what this Holy Spirit does in us. And this renewal into a different type of human is the hope of our gospel because it can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. The hope of a go- the gospel, this life renewed, is hope because we couldn't make it happen. This is something that God does in us. Three times Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment. A down payment guaranteeing our full redemption, the resurrection of our bodies when Jesus comes back to make all things right. So Jesus rose from the dead representing this is this has started. The new creation has begun. There is a he has a new body and he's promising that we will partake of that same thing. But but Paul is saying that our hope for that is our experience of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit now. So we kind of know what a, a down payment looks like, and I'll, I'll read a quick quote here from a book by a guy named uh, George Eldon Ladd. Um, the, the analogy is of a house. So if you find a house, you're looking for a house, um, you find one you want, you first call Prime Lending, Garrett, Master, I don't know if his number's on the screen, you guys didn't think I could work a sponsorship into my sermon, but I did. He paid me good money. And if you find the one that you want, um, there's one thing that will bind the agreement, money. Not the, not, now, not a, a, um, a letter guaranteeing that you're a good person, that you'll pay, pay the money in due time. No, the, this says not the full amount of the house, but a substantial down payment. The present possession of the Holy Spirit is a down payment. It is more than a promise, although it is a promise. It is more than a guarantee, although it is a guarantee. It is the present, it is the present and partial possession which guarantees the full possession at the proper time. This is the life of the Spirit, eternal life. The work that God does in us now as we submit ourselves to him and experience his love and his care and his walking with us is pointing not only the world but us to the hope of what's to come that we will not be disappointed that what god is doing in us now is a foretaste of what we're going to experience in the future when when he comes but we should also be the representatives of that here and now that Houston, Texas, our neighborhood, would see a different world because the life of the age to come, when God makes all things right, all things new, where there only will be love living and experiencing uh, perfect wholeness, we should be bringing that, we should see that and experience that here and now, and the people around us should be experiencing that here and now. And the reason that I say this is not because I, I don't want it to be something as a talk. I want it to be something where as a family, this is something I want to fight for together. I want to believe more for God. I want to believe that he is capable of more in my own life, but in our community. And I know that he is. 
And so that's why I'm saying these things. The kingdom of God is here now, but we know it's not in its fullness. We know it is here because Jesus says it, it was, but we all also know it's not in its fullness because we're still experiencing the decreation from Genesis 3, where God's good world was broken and where sin and sickness and death now reign, where Satan is still the king of this world. But something changed with Jesus. Something changed with Jesus, and the kingdom of God is here now. And those, in Romans 8, who says, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await adoptions as sons of the redemption of our bodies. And even creation is expecting something and is looking to the sons and children of God for the hope. It says in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God places an amazing honor on you and I that we would be representatives of his new world here and now through Jesus. And even now, the creation is expecting and looking forward to the rule of the children of God. And I want to read uh, one more quote for us, and I think um, it's a little bit long, but Again, I'm, I'm requiring a lot of you guys, but in the, in the book, The Gospel of the Kingdom, there's a passage that I think summarizes my hope and desire for this, I think sparked my, my longing for what God is doing and to believe him for more. Um, he says in, the, uh, in, his, in this chapter on the, the life, uh, the eternal life, that has the realization, realization gripped you that the very life of heaven itself dwells within you here and now. Did you know that? I'm afraid we live most of our lives in terms of promise. We often sing of the future, and so we ought to sing. Our gospel is a gospel of glorious promise and hope. Yes, the best, the glorious best is yet to be, and yet we are not to live alone for the future. The future has already begun. The age to come has reached into this age. The kingdom of God has come unto you. The eternal life which belongs to tomorrow is here today, and the fellowship which we shall know when we see him face to face is already ours, in part, but in reality. The transforming life of the Spirit of God, which will one day transform our bodies, has come to indwell us and to transform our characters and our personalities. This is what eternal life means. This is what it means to be saved. It means to go about every day in this present evil age living the life of heaven. It means that every local fellowship of God's people who have shared this life should live together and worship and serve together as those who enjoy a forced haste of heaven on earth. This is what the fellowship of Christian church ought to be. May God help us to live the life of the age to come in the midst of an evil age. And we have to remember I don't know about you, but that's, that's something I, I want more. I want to live in that reality more. We have to remember it all starts 
And it has to come to what Jesus was very clear on, that abide in me, because apart from me you can do nothing. And he says, as the Father has loved, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That love that Jesus has for us and the, the, the taste that we can have of it through the Holy Spirit is what begins to transform us and what begins to allow us to step into that reality of heaven on earth here and now. The other day, um, a couple weeks ago, I, I, I know this is weird, but sometimes it happens to me. I woke up with a word in my head that I was a little bit familiar with, but I didn't really know. So, I, so whenever that happens, I look I ask God about it, and if that's something that he wants to speak to me on. Um, and the word is, is viceroy, and I don't know if that means anything to you guys. Um, it didn't really mean anything to me. Um, but it's a really, really interesting word. We don't use it anymore, and it's a position that isn't really in place anymore. Um, but as I, as I looked in the definition, I think God struck me um, with his desire for us um, and maybe how we see ourselves and understand maybe how God sees us. Viceroy, the definition, is one who rules a country or province as the representative of his sovereign or king and who is empowered to act in the sovereign's name. A viceroy, one who rules a country or province as the representative of his sovereign or king and who is empowered to act in the sovereign's name. I don't know if that feels natural to you that maybe God would think of you like that, that he would actually think of you as his viceroy, that the kingdom of heaven, that God's place, God's space, and where what he wants to be done is done, that you would be a representative of what that looks like here in the present evil age, and not just a representative of it, not just displaying to your neighborhood or displaying us, displaying to Houston, Texas, um, to our country and to the world of what the kingdom looks like, but also having the same authority that God himself giving us his authority to go about and do that. And I don't know if it reminds you of the great commission where Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples baptizing in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do all that I commanded you, knowing that all of it is only and, and completely contingent on the Holy Spirit power working within us. It's, that's what happened in the early church when we're talking about we want to be a reflection of biblical Christi Christianity when Randy's talking about that up here. We want to be a reflection of the people that were blown away by the power of the Holy Spirit, power from on high coming to them, being witnesses to Jesus in their space, in their little place where they were, and it not being contained. And I love what Lindsay talked about in her testimony of, this is to think about that, to be a representative of God's kingdom or to see God's kingdom break into this present evil age. I, man, there's no program, there's no sermon that I can preach, there's nothing that I can do. But it's that seeking the face of God, that humble prayer and the humble submission where God begins to shape us and form us by the power of the Spirit to be able to do the things that Jesus did, to be able to love in the same way that Jesus loved. I don't know about you, when I read Jesus and I read his teachings and I, read and I see how he loved, I feel completely incapable of loving in that way. 
of forgiving in that way when someone's wronged me, his call to forgiveness. All of these things are so far beyond what I could imagine myself being capable to do of, of, of suffering in the way that he suffered or calls us to suffer. But even in our suffering, when we suffer and we have Jesus by our side, he never wastes one bit of our pain. Uh, Hopeful wrote in a post, Instagram post a long time ago, and it really affected me that Jesus is the perfect, com- perfect companion for pain. Not only does he know, he knows exactly how deep our pain goes, and he doesn't waste it. He uses it to transform us into the beautiful image of Jesus so that we can show the world what God looks like. We can demonstrate it, and that when we proclaim the good news of the gospel, that they will see in us a substance, something different, maybe something from a different world, something that isn't of this age, something that represents the kingdom that's to come. And to close, um, I felt like God put on my heart to share um, one thing that may, may not seem connected, but I do think it's something that he wants us to take to heart. Um, and in this, I see his love, I see his call, I see his desire for us to not settle for what the world wants us to settle for, but to expect so much more from God in our lives. And I felt him taking me to Mark 4. Um, it's a parable of the sower, the seeds. And in Mark 4, 18 through 19, uh, Jesus describes the seed sown among the thorns. Jesus said, and others ones were sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. The cares of this age, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke out the world. I, I still think that this Warning is valid for the church today, for us, for me, for me today. Because we see even in the Old Testament, God's rebuke to his people for idol worship was always to his people. It wasn't to the outsiders. It wasn't to the pagans. His pointing to the idols that they had was, was always for his family It was always for the Israelite people, and I think he does that for us today. And his call for those things and his call for us to turn from those things is always his desire for us to step into the fullness of what he designed us to be, that we would be his representatives, the representatives of heaven here on earth. He has so much more planned for us than we have planned for ourselves. He, he, He thinks much highly more highly of human beings than I think we think of ourselves because he sees what he can do, what he wants to do, to bring himself glory and to show the world. And so I think in this, as we think about the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, we, I talked last time of, of uh, repentance. And remember, uh, like repentance is not a bad word, it's an invitation. It's an invitation that requires humility but one that leads to renewal that brings life. Repentance, real repentance, always leads to the renewal of the Holy Spirit for God's people. 
when we turn and we come to God and we're honest with him, he will always, always meet us in that place and transform that spot where we are laying down. He will always take it. And the biggest thing I want to close with and, and reinforce is that the transformation by the Spirit is the transformation of the love of God. It's His love that will always transform us. Without His love, without knowing Him, if we stay separate from Him and we stay separate from knowing His love, we will not see what God can do. But now, through the gospel, we can not only rest secure in Him today, but live lives as free people bringing God's rule of heaven to earth with the confidence that no matter what happens to me here, I will be with Jesus in God's kingdom forever because I've tasted of the renewal of all things here and now through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. My cry and I think my desire is that we would recognize and believe that there is more for us as a church to believe together and ask for and cry out for more, to lay aside every idol and sincerely desire before him a move of his spirit that transforms our little community and find out what he can do and not what we can do. Because I'm interested in what God can do. And he loves us so much. His call to this, his call to renewal, and he call to think about and sincerely think about are there these idols in my life preventing choking out what god would want to do is a call to life and a call to abundance it's what jesus always does and always will do so i'll ask our prayer team to come up and uh, music team to come up um i uh i always prefer my second time so it's not a lot of not a track record but i prefer on the first song um if uh if you'd stay seated um we're gonna sing the band is gonna sing um but i would encourage you to sit and uh and to just process with the lord whatever he wants to speak whatever the holy spirit wants to speak tonight um i would ask you to to sit and to ask god what he wants to say and to respond to that now if you know you want prayer there's going to be prayer here at the front um, if you know you want prayer, come in the first song because we want everybody to get prayer if you want to. So if we try to fit on all prayer in one song, that won't be as good. So if you know you want prayer up at the front, uh, come get prayer. Um, but if not, stay seated um, and allow God to speak to you and whatever he wants to say. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you that um, this is your story and not our story. Thank you that the hope of the gospel is that you have saved us, not because of works done in us in righteousness, but because of mercy, because of your mercy. And that in your mercy, you have called us sons of God. And Jesus, it cost you so much. It cost you so much to bring us in and to welcome us in and to call us sons and daughters. So help us to see that, that your desire for us, that when it says, for the joy set before you, Jesus, you endured the cross, the joy was us, that we would be with you. And that you started that now. You said, now I'm going to be with you, even to the end of this age. I'm never leaving you or forsaking you. And you're doing that by the Holy Spirit. 
And your desire for us is to create us, shape us into the people that look like you, Jesus, that represent your kingdom here on earth, here in Houston. Father, give us a hunger, a desire, give us a thirst that we would not settle for the things that we tend to settle for, that we would not put up with what we've put up with, but we would lay it down and believe that what you can do with our life is is more than we could expect, more than we could imagine. You've, you've said that. So I just pray tonight even that, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would strengthen us in our inner being to comprehend the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus that goes beyond knowledge and to be filled with all the fullness of God. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak tonight that you would open our, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, that you would speak and that we would respond to you. We wouldn't disregard what you're saying and know that everything you say is in a complete um, alignment with your love, that you care for us and you want more for us than we want for ourselves. So we just trust you tonight and we invite you into this place. We